If you take your copy of Scripture and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Isn't it good to know that we have a solid rock that we can build our life on? And not just our life, our eternity. That Jesus isn't just good in this life, Jesus is good in every life for all time, forever. And we started last week, and we're going to continue this week in the next couple of weeks, to build on that solid rock of Christ in our life for when we doubt. And we've, as we've said over the weeks, listen, doubt is a natural part of the Christian life. In fact, it's a natural part of us growing. We have to doubt, question, search it out. And just because you doubt doesn't mean you can't follow Jesus. Just because you doubt doesn't mean that you lack faith. Just because you doubt doesn't mean that somebody is a better Christian than you are. We've learned that God is with us in our doubt. God is walking through us, walking through this with us, bringing us out. Last week we began to learn that there's some skills that we need to begin to build in our life for when doubt comes. It's not if it comes, but when. And I want to do the same thing today, to give you some more skills to build on the solid rock of Jesus so that you can stand in the face of doubt, in the face of fear, in the face of temptation, and stand firm. Now I want to give you some context before we jump in today, because we're jumping in the middle of Paul's argument. Paul's been writing to a church that has a lot of doubt and division and fighting and trouble. And they're just, they're, it's just chaos, They can't figure out which way's up. They can't figure out what really needs to happen. And so Paul comes in 1 Corinthians 10 and he says some pretty powerful things. And he's trying to help these people and us come to an understanding that that we actually can fight doubt in our life. See, I, I thought a lot of for a long time in my life that when doubt came or fear came or questions came or temptation came or, or sin, that I was powerless against it. I would just get overwhelmed by the storm and tried to ride it out. And then when it was over, I would pick up the pieces. And yet Paul says something completely different. And I want you to hear that today, that we can stand firm in Christ and say no to sin, we can say no to temptation, we can say no to doubt and to fear. So here are the words that he says in 1 Corinthians 10, we're gonna start in verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Very simple, powerful words that he gives us. And the first thing that he tells us, and this is something that all of us need to hold on to, is that we need to take heed so that we don't fall. See, we kind of think that doubt comes out of nowhere. We kind of think that questions come out of nowhere. We kind of think temptation comes out of nowhere, and they don't. What happens is that we haven't been paying attention to ourselves and paying attention to what's going on in our life. That's what he says. Therefore, take heed. Let him who thinks he stands take heed so that he does not fall. I don't think there's anything worse than thinking you are standing when you're actually about to fall. Do you see what he's saying here? 
How, how much have you deceived yourself to tell yourself, I'm fine, everything's okay, I'm okay, I'm doing okay, when in the reality is, you're not. And he says, listen, it's time to pay attention to what's going on in your life. And the reason that we face some of the problems that we face, some of the fears, the doubts, the questions, is that we fail to take these things seriously and we suffer for it. Here's what happens. Doubt will begin to creep into our heart and life and we just push it away. I don't want to think about that. I don't, I don't really want to, you know, work that process through to understand why I'm doubting and what's causing my doubt. And I don't want to go and try to find an answer for it. I'll just, I'll just pretend like it doesn't exist. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? We like to deny. Oh, I'm not doubting. I'm, I'm, I'm not struggling. No, no, no. It's, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. I have some questions, but it's not that bad. And here's the thing, when we fail to take these things seriously, we suffer for it because when we try to ignore them, when we try to minimize them, when we try to deny them, they just get bigger. They don't go away. If you're here and you're struggling with doubt or questions or fear or temptation or sin, can I just give you some good advice? Face it head on. Look it full in the eye, call it what it is, run to Jesus, because if you don't, it's just gonna get bigger in your life. And so Paul was telling these people, listen, you can't pretend like there aren't problems in your church. If you'd read the book of 1 Corinthians, these people were jacked up. They had problems. And they just tried to pretend like they weren't there. And he said, that's the biggest and fastest recipe for a fall in your life. But also, <clears throat> because we fail to really take these things seriously, we have to be careful what we let soak into our heart and life. See, when we start to doubt, when we start to have questions, we start to seek out people who feel the same way. We want people to, you know, to kind of harmonize with us in our trouble. And so we go and start sharing our problems and they start sharing their problems and nobody has a solution to problems. So what do we do? We just keep heaping problems on top of problems. I saw that run rampant when I was in college and in seminary. The, the group of people that I started college with got smaller and smaller and smaller. The people that I was going to church with in college got smaller and smaller and smaller because we would get together and we'd have these little gripe sessions about the things that we didn't like about the church and the things that we struggled with in our faith. Never wanting a solution, never wanting an answer. We just wanted to gripe. And soon what began to happen is you'd hear something like this. You know, I don't really need the church in my life. You know, I don't really think God's ever done anything for me. You know, I've always not really believed this stuff anyway. It's just easier now that I can just admit it. And person after person after person, I began to see them walk away from the church, walk away from ministry, walk away from faith. I gotta take this seriously. Can't pretend like it doesn't exist. You can't pretend like it's not a problem. But be careful. Be careful who you let into your life. Be careful who you're listening to. Now, I'm not saying don't seek out answers. Here's the thing. Christianity is a come, see, and check it out religion. 
Christianity has answers. You can ask questions and there are answers, but be careful who you're listening to because not everybody's gonna give you the right answer. You need to take heed so that you don't fall. <clears throat> and Paul gives us this wonderful line in verse 13. I want you to listen to this and see if it brings you hope. No temptation that has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. You need to remember that doubt, questions, fear, sin, temptation is a common struggle for all of us. I don't know why we pretend when we come to church that we have everything together because that's the opposite of the message of the church, isn't it? We're here precisely because we don't have it all together. We're here precisely because we're seeking answers to the questions of our heart and life. We're here exactly because we're broken, we're searching, we're haunted by doubt. We're here and that's the right place to be. But here's the truth that I need you to hear. The enemy likes to tell you that you're all alone, that no one has experienced any of this stuff that you're going through, nobody understands. If you ever admit that you doubt, if you ever admit that you have questions, if you ever admit that you struggle, everybody's gonna ostracize you, you're gonna excommunicate you, they're gonna tar and feather you. I'd like you to hear the opposite of that. If you're here today and you struggle and you're here today and you doubt and you're here today and you have questions, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Because I struggle and I have questions and I have doubt but I don't let that keep me from following Jesus. I don't let that keep me from being a part of his family. We're gonna talk about that more in just a minute. Now, you may not think that that makes you feel comfortable. Welcome to the family. Well, I don't wanna be part of this family. I don't wanna doubt, I don't wanna struggle. Well, sorry, that's the human condition. This is common to us all. In fact, one of the things that you need to hear is that you're not the first the only or the last person that will struggle. You're not the first, you're not the only one, and you're not the last one that will struggle. In fact, great people of the faith struggled with doubt, struggled with fear, struggled with depression, struggled with questions. Two of my favorite people that I love to listen to and read is Charles Spurgeon and William Cowper. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He preached in the early 1900s in London. His sermons were printed on the, in the London Times Monday morning after he preached on Sunday. Thousands and thousands of people would come to hear him preach. Now here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. You have to read his biographies to find this out. He struggled with doubt. Immensely struggled with doubt and depression. And here's what would happen. Spurgeon would preach this amazing sermon and hundreds and hundreds of people would come to know Christ and he would be attacked by his inner moron and he would leave. He'd disappear. Sometimes for weeks at a time and they didn't know where he was. And they'd just wait for him to come back. And so he'd have these dark nights of the soul. He'd have these struggles and he would just disappear. And there's a great story about what happened one time when he disappeared. He left on a Saturday night, didn't tell his congregation he wasn't coming on Sunday morning. And they showed up and he wasn't there and he was gone. And he'd gone out to this little town about 10 or 15 miles outside of London and he decided, I'm gonna go to church today. I just need to go to church. 
And the great Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, goes into this little podunk town with this little country preacher. And guess what? That country preacher was preaching Spurgeon's sermons. He was ripping them out of the paper on Monday and preaching them the next Sunday. And Spurgeon sits in the congregation and this man preaches his sermon to him. And Spurgeon gets up at the end of the service and he walks down front and I can only imagine what that little country preacher would have been feeling like. Like, oh no, he's here. Oh. And Spurgeon walked forward and this is what he said. Thank you. Thank you because I needed to hear God's word today. God spoke to him and gave him the courage to walk back to London and go preach. William Cowper wrote some of the greatest hymns that we've sung in the history of faith. And do you know that he was in and out of mental institutions all of his life? He struggled so greatly with fear and doubt and questions. He was in and out of mental institutions. But here's what he would say. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. God's at work. He just continually fought against his questions. He continually fought against his temptations. He continually fought against his doubts and God used him mightily. So listen, you need to remember you're not the only one. You need to remember that God's at work in your life. And you need to remember that just because you struggle doesn't disqualify you from following Christ. But part of this is anchored in the first part of this chapter that we need to learn to remember this is a common struggle. We need to remember and learn lessons from those who have struggled before us. The first part of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul goes through this litany of things that the people of Israel did wrong. Oh, do you remember in the wilderness when they, when they defied God and this happened? Yeah, well, do you remember when they did this and this happened? Do you remember when this happened and this happened? He says, and this is a beautiful, wonderful thing. He tells us in verse six, now these things happen as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they did. Isn't it funny that when we're struggling with doubt and questions and fear and temptation and we think we're the only one, we don't go back to the Bible to look at all the times and all the people and all the places where they did the exact same things as us. Why? Why? Paul says, listen, you need to pay attention to yourself and you need to remember you're not alone, but you need to learn from the lessons of people who have struggled before you. I didn't understand that until I became a parent. And one of the most frustrating things as a parent is this. I don't want my kids to struggle the way I did. I don't want my kids to make mistakes the way that I did. I don't want my kids to make boneheaded decisions and mess up their life the way I did. But the frustrating part of that is kids don't want to listen. We share these things and they're like, stop lecturing me. I get it. No, you don't because you're still doing the stupid things that I did. And here's what God is saying to us. Listen. There are examples for you to look at so you don't have to fall into the same mess. 
You don't have to crave the same things. You don't have to desire the same things. You don't have to fall into the same things. Listen, learn from these examples. And within these examples, Paul talks about, there's a phrase that goes all the way through them. God is faithful. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. It's not enough to just pay attention to yourself. It's not enough just to remember that you're not alone. It's not enough just to learn from these examples. You have to settle your heart on the rock. And the rock is God is faithful. First Timothy tells us, even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. And so as we have the storm of doubt and questions and temptations and things swirling in our life, here's the thing that we need to tell ourselves over and over again. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. But what does that mean? It means God is faithful because God is not the author or cause of temptation. James chapter 1, verse 13, God does not tempt us with evil because God isn't tempted by evil. So we need to remember that when temptations come into our life, temptation to doubt, temptation of fear, temptation to sin, that is not from God. God is not the author, God is not the source of temptation, He's the antidote. God is faithful. God never changes. There's never going to be a day where you wake up and God's decided this is the day when I'm going to start tempting everybody with sin. You're never going to wake up one day and God's going to say, this is the day when I remove my hand of protection and provision off of you. There's never going to be a day when you wake up, when you say, okay, this is it. God's walked away. God is not the author or cause of temptation. And I want you to think about this. If God was the author or cause of temptation, he couldn't be trusted. How could you trust someone with one hand who's tempting you into sin and on the other hand is ready to bring punishment and judgment? Come on, it'll be okay. Come on, you can do it. It's all right. It's, it's fine. I'm telling you, it's fine. And you step into the sin and then boom, judgment. That's not who God is. God is the one who is leading us away from temptation. Why do you think when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, deliver us from evil? He says that because God is the one who leads us away from temptation. And when Jesus says, deliver us from evil, here's what he says. God, keep me off the road that leads to evil. Keep me off the road that leads to doubt. Keep me off the road that leads to questions. And God is also the one when we say, keep me, lead me away from evil, deliver me from evil. When I've fallen into evil, get me out, deliver me. But he says, God is faithful God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. 
Now listen, this is the most misunderstood and misused verse, one of, I don't want to say the, it's one of the most misused and misunderstood verses of the Bible. Because he's saying God is faithful and no temptation will be more than you can bear. Now the problem is, what we've taken that to say is, God will never put anything in your life that's more than you can handle. Mm, 2020, anybody? So that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that God won't put anything into your life that you can't handle. Here's what he's saying. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can say no to. Temptation and stuff are two different things. We're gonna have circumstances. We're gonna have trials. We're gonna have fear. We're gonna have doubt. We're gonna have questions. But here's the hope. We will not be tempted to the point where we have to give in. And that was good news to me. For a lot of years in my life, I felt the only way out of temptation was just to give in. If I just give in, it'll be over. If I just give up, it's done. I can repent and start over and we can just clean this whole mess up. And then I heard the beauty of these words. God is faithful and in his faithfulness, he will not allow any temptation to become so great that you can't walk away in victory. But how's that work? How is it that no temptation will be more than we can bear? Well, here's some things that we need to remember. You have everything that you need to live godly in your life. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. In Christ, you've been given everything that you need to be a godly person, to live a godly life, to live holy and pure before God. You need nothing else, you have it all. There's not a secret. There's not a code, there's not a book, there's not a Bible study that you need to do to check off the list to get it. The moment that Jesus enters into your life and fills you with the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to live godly in Christ Jesus. And that helps you say no to temptation. You have been given resurrection power in your life. Romans 8, 11. We celebrated baptism today that resurrection power raised Addison from the dead and so she can walk in newness of life. She's gone from death to life. And if you're here today and Christ is your savior, the same thing has happened to you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives and works in you. And yet we walk around broken and saying we can't do anything about the stuff in our life. You can say no to temptation because you have resurrection power working in you. The same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same spirit who lives inside of you now and says you can walk away. I want to ask this question because I have to ask it to myself. There are moments when these things creep back in and they feel big and they feel powerful and they feel overwhelming. And I have to ask myself this question and I want to ask it to you. What in this universe is more powerful than resurrection power. What is it? Please enlighten me and tell me. Is it pornography? Is it marital problems? Is it problems with your kids? Is it unemployment? Is it 
world struggle? What is it? Is there anything in this world that's more powerful than resurrection power? Because here's something you need to know. Resurrection power one day is going to make a new heaven and new earth. And we need to start living in resurrection power right now. Christ wants to bring new life. Christ wants to transform our life. And we constantly say, but there's no I have no power. What source are you plugged into? Because if you're only plugged into your power and what you can bring to the table, you're right. There is no hope. But when you're plugged into resurrection power, you have all you need. You have been given the freedom to say no. Did you know that? Did you know that you have been set free from your sin? You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. You no longer have to let sin reign in your body. Do you know that you have the power and the authority to say no? When sin comes into your life, you can just say no thanks. And here's what I tell people because this is what I experienced. As I began to learn this truth and see this biblically and began to live this out, my first few no's were very timid. The first times that I said no to sin in my life, it was more like a question. No? Because I still wasn't totally sure I wanted it gone. But here's the thing you need to hear. The more you say no and the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, that no gets louder. And that no gets more powerful. That no has some authority behind it when you say, I will not do this. And by the name of Jesus and by the blood that he shed for me, I say no. Listen, you have the authority, you have the power to say no. To say no to sin. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There were days when, when I didn't believe the no's that I said, but I said them anyway. There were days when I just prayed, God, I need to say no. And I don't know if I'm going to say no, but I need you to help me say no. And I, hope, I need you to help me mean no and live no. Here's my favorite thing. You can put off doubt and sin and temptation and questions and fear and shame like changing clothes. That picture in Colossians chapter three, verses nine and 10, it says, put off your old self, put on your new self. It's so matter of fact, it's so easy. Paul's just like, put it off, put it off. And the language that he uses is like changing clothes. We wanna change our old clothes of sin and the sin nature and we wanna change into our new clothes of Jesus and his righteousness. I laughed when I wrote this down because my daughter is really good at changing clothes. She goes through a, an estimated 72 outfits a day. She doesn't wear them very long and they're gone. And it's just easy for her. She didn't, doesn't care. Change clothes, change clothes, change clothes. We need to get in that habit. We need to get in the habit to remember that we can just change our clothes. If we don't like the outfit that we're wearing, if there's anger, if there's bitterness, if there's doubt, if there's fear, if there's sin, if we don't like that outfit, we can change it. You're not stuck with it. You can change 
You can change. God is faithful. God is faithful by providing a way of escape. Man, not only does he say that there's no temptation that will overtake you, that will drown you, that will overwhelm you. He says, I also provide a way of escape. God will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure the temptation. This word also gives me hope and it should give you hope because isn't that our deepest fear? We're never gonna get out. That we're gonna drown. That this time is gonna be the time that we don't get away. This time is gonna be the time that, you know, that we're gonna be overwhelmed. This time is gonna be the time we go under. Listen, God is faithful. God is faithful. And if you're in a situation where there's temptation or fear or questions or doubt, he's already provided the way of escape. You don't have to cry for it. You don't have to pursue him. You don't have to scream at him. He's already made it available. And here's the thing I love about God. God doesn't give us one way out. He gives us a bunch of ways out. Let me cover a few real quick. Here's a way that he's provided for escape. He has provided us prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 and James 5, 16 talk about us bringing our concerns to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care on Christ because he cares for you. See, we don't see the power of prayer the way God does. God sees the power of prayer as our biggest weapon of offense. Listen. The devil doesn't care about all the Bible studies that you go to. The devil doesn't care about your accountability groups. He doesn't care about the apps that you have on your phone. He doesn't care how many verses that you've read. Let me tell you what he cares about. When you drop down on your knees and you start crying out to your father. Because when you get on your knees and you start crying to your father, he knows he has lost. That's where the power comes from. When we cry, Father, he says, I am here. And we tell him what's going on. And then he gets into action. You want a way of escape? Pray. Pray. He's given us another way of escape. He's provided us his word. And I think we neglect this way of escape as much as we do prayer. Why would I want to go back to this dusty Bible full of all these people I don't know about and all these stories that I don't understand? Why would I want to go do that? Because Jesus tells us in John 8, 32, when you hear the truth, the truth will set you free. He's given us his word to tell us the truth to set us free. He's given us his word in Psalm 119, 105 to be a light to our feet and a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You've been in a place where you didn't know what to go, where to go. You've been in a place you didn't know what to do. Couldn't even take the next step. Didn't know how you were going to get through. Here's the thing. Crack open the light. It's amazing. You crack open the light and all of a sudden you begin to go, well, okay, I can walk here. I can do that. Oh yeah, I, I can see the way. I can follow that. He's given us his word. He's provided us his word because when we hide his word in our heart, it keeps us from sin. Psalm 119, 11. You want to stop doubting? 
You want to stop having questions. You want to stop having fear and sin and shame. Start devouring God's word and hiding it in your heart. Because you start filling your heart and your mind with the word when lies come up. The word stands there and smashes those things down. Hide his word in your heart. And then use his word the way that Jesus did. He's provided us his word because it is our only, it is, our, it is written, is our only defense. So many times we can't walk away from temptation because we have no reason to. And we need to look at the way Jesus dealt with temptation and doubt and questions when he had his, his temptation in the wilderness with the devil and the devil came to him three times and three times Jesus said the same thing. It is written. Satan lied, Satan tempted, Satan offered and every time Jesus said it is written. And with all the love I have in my heart, I need you to hear me say this. Memorizing John 3.16 is not enough. And that's wonderful to know that God loved the world and he gave his one and only son. If you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. Yes, but what are you gonna do when sexual sin shows up in your life? What are you gonna do when doubt shows up in your life? What are you gonna do when all these other things show up? We need to add more arrows into the quiver that we can shoot at untruth. He's provided a way of escape, his word. He's provided a way of escape He's provided his Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he leads us into truth. That's literally his job, to lead us into truth and remind us of everything that Jesus has said. Now, I will tell you that sometimes when the Holy Spirit does that, it's annoying. It's annoying when I wanna do what I wanna do and I'm caught up in the things that I'm caught up in and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, uh, hey, that's not good, that's not the truth, let, 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 let's go back. That's what he does. He leads us into truth. He comforts us and gives us peace. And he will help us walk away from sinful desires. Man, in Galatians 5.16, it says, when we walk by the Spirit, we will not live out the desires of the flesh. And walking by the Spirit isn't something super holy and super special people do. It's the natural part of being a Christian. And you know what walking by the Holy Spirit really means? Listening to him, letting him lead you, surrendering control of your life and saying, it's yours. Do with me what you will. He's provided a way of escape called his church. He's given us his church. He's given us each other. You know, I, I talked to you before about people walking away and here's the deal. Those people in my life, maybe you've seen people in your life that do that. They come to a bad understanding of what the church is. They think the church is full of perfect people with no problems who'll never understand who they are and what they're going through. And it's so sad that a lot of the world feels that way. But I need you to hear today, God's provided you a way of escape. If you're struggling, this is the place where you need to be. 
And you need to be open about your struggles and we will love you. We will walk through this with you. We will tell you the truth about who Jesus is and what grace it has to offer you and how you can be transformed. Don't hide. Don't hide. We are called to hold each other accountable. We are called to bear one another's burdens. We are called to walk alongside one another. Let's get busy doing that. Let's be a way of escape for people in trouble. I want to stop before I finish and just ask this question. Aren't these promises wonderful? Aren't these wonderful promises something to hold on to? That that in those moments when you're struggling, you can grab onto that and say, oh, I remember the Bible tells me this. Oh, I I remember this. Let Let me just read through them real quick again so you can hear them in a little bit different way. We aren't caught in some inescapable trap. We're not alone. And no temptation we will face will overpower us. And that God's faithfulness provides everything that we need to stand. And God has provided the way of escape for us also. And so I want to end with this, the way that Paul did. Here's what he says. Therefore, flee. Therefore, flee. And that's how I want to end the service today. This is your opportunity. This is your get out of jail free card. This is your opportunity to run to run from doubt, to run from fear, to run from temptation, to run from sin. You can do it. All of these promises are true. Now flee. How do I say this? I'll just say it. If you leave here the same way that you came in here, that's on you. God is looking you in the face today with arms open wide and he says, it's time to run. It's time to run and you can run to me. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And I ask right now that you would help us to flee. God, help us to flee from our sin and turn to you and be made new in Christ, be saved and transformed. To help us flee from the sin, the shame, the doubts, the fear, the temptations that have have sought to drown us. We flee. We flee from the temptation not to be a part of your family and we join. Whatever you're asking today, Father, Help us to say yes. Help us to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.